Good morning, and welcome to Estevan Alliance Church. Uh, my name is Graham Gustafson. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I'm glad you've joined us here today. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, our new pastor, Craig Hollins, is arriving this week. Uh, we're very excited to have him and his wife, Amy, uh, joining us here in Estevan and becoming part of our community and uh, family. Uh, we're planning to move to a live streaming uh, service next Sunday morning at 1030 uh, a.m. Uh, if you're lucky enough to, to catch us, we're actually testing it out on, on Saturday uh, right now um, for next week. Uh, originally, we had planned to have a special installation service next week. However, due to the virus, we've had to postpone that. Um, but I still encourage you to join us next Sunday uh, for what will be, a, I'm sure, a special service as, as Pastor Craig begins his ministry uh, time with us. If you're uh, wondering how you can continue to worship through giving at this time, you can visit our webpage uh, and find information on e-transfer, pre-authorized giving, uh, or by mailing or dropping off a, a check here at the office. Uh, we do realize that this is and uh, will continue to be a very tough financial situation for our community. As a church family, we want to uh, support and encourage uh, each other and our community in this time. Um, before I invite our, uh, our speaker, Terry Wicks, uh, this morning, I'm uh, just going to have a, a little time of prayer. Heavenly Father, there's no one like you. And in uh, times of trouble, Lord, it can be easy to focus on, on the headlines and on fear. Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus. If there was a cure for the virus tomorrow, we know that the whole world would celebrate. And yet, Lord, you have provided a cure for the curse of sin and death through the sacrifice of your son. And dear Lord, that gives us reason to celebrate every day and to, and to have peace and joy in every circumstance. So Lord, let us be very thankful. Lord, we do ask uh, for, healing, uh, for healing for the sick, whether it be the coronavirus, dear Lord, cancer, or some other illness, Lord, we just pray that there would be uh, healing in uh, people's physical bodies. Lord, we ask that you would provide uh, strength and protection for the healthcare workers in this time as they tend to the ill. Give them wisdom uh, to understand the best methods to treat this illness and the best way to care for these patients. Lord, give them uh, protection in their own uh, physical bodies, uh, mentally and physically as they as they go through this. Lord, we want to lift up everyone who's had their income impacted, um, whether through a layoff or having to close the doors of a business. Lord, uh, like Elijah and the widow and her son in a time of famine, we pray and ask that you would provide uh, for us all in this time. Lord, we want to pray for business owners and, and leaders uh, that they would have uh, wisdom uh, 
on what to do and, and how to proceed in, in what's just so uncertain. Lord, we also want to ask that you would uh, protect those who are the most vulnerable among us. Dear Lord, uh, the poor, uh, people with pre-existing conditions, people without access to, uh, to health care. Uh, Lord, just protect them in these times. Lord, we want to ask also for wisdom for our government leaders, that they would... Um, know both the best ways to prevent the spread of the illness, dear Lord, and to support uh, their citizens at this, through this. And Lord, I want to pray for the city of Estevan and our surrounding community that, that you would uh, bless us and keep us in this time. But Lord, most of all, most of all, we pray that in this, uh, people would turn to your son, Jesus. Dear Lord, that we would put our faith and trust in you and find our salvation in you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. With that, I'd like to invite uh, Terry Wicks uh, for our sermon this week. Good morning. It's kind of eerie speaking to an audience of two, but I understand one of the great preachers of days gone by uh, came to church because uh, as only one of a few, because of a snowstorm and a faithful elder, preached the gospel and he was saved. And many people were saved as a result of that ministry. It's kind of eerie to preach to an audience of two, but we're grateful for the complete turnout of the Wood family today. That's uh, encouraging. I want to uh, just try to encourage your hearts. I haven't got a big theological treatise I'm going to share with you, but I want to kind of take us back to the basics of what it means to be a Christian. In a time like this, uh, we need to get back to the basics and really focus on those and allow them to uh, cement themselves in our hearts and minds. <clears throat> right now, life can be hard to understand in trying to come to grips with the cold realities of our existence here on earth. We can easily become frustrated. We long for answers to the suffering and the trials, the troubles the afflictions that everyone experiences in varying degrees at some point in life, and that our whole world is experiencing now. We may wonder if we will ever fully understand why bad things happen to good people and why good things happen to bad people. The answers often seem elusive, hidden, or out of reach. Well, it makes sense that a terrorist, or a terrorist would be killed by his own bomb. It makes sense that a reckless driver would be in a serious crash. It makes sense that a person who plays with fire would get seriously burned. It even makes sense that a heavy smoker would develop lung cancer. But why doesn't what we described above happen every time to the terrorist, or the reckless driver, or the pyromaniac, or the heavy smoker? And what about the innocent men, women, and children who are killed 
by a terrorist bomb? What about the careful driver who suffers brain damage because of the drunk driver who veered over into his lane? What about the family whose home burns down due to no fault of their own? What about a two-year-old child with leukemia? Or the non-smoking, clean-living person in the prime of their life who is diagnosed with cancer and dies to leave behind a spouse and a young family. The undeniable truth is that everybody on earth, whether good or bad, at some time faces suffering or trials or tests or heartaches or sorrows or afflictions or persecution or varying combinations of these in varying degrees. We cannot pretend to have complete answers as to why God allows these in the lives of unbelievers and believers alike. The reasons are many and complex. It's just as wrong to demand from God that he explains it to us. After all, we're not supposed to depend on God's explanations, but on his promises. When Job realized he had no right to demand an answer from God, or he didn't get one, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And at the end of the book of Job, he said, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. But God does give some answers and sufficient information to enable us to garner a biblical perspective about the trials we face and to derive eternal benefit from them. And even though we may not understand why we face certain troubles, we can know how to deal with the situation and respond in a way that pleases the Lord. I'm speaking from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. Beginning at verse 13, Paul wrote, It is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Now all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. <laughs> And I just want to insert Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths, or make your path straight. Now, this really means that our trust, our faith, our hope in God is separated from our circumstances. It's based on who he is, not on what he does for us. So let's go back to what Paul 
is speaking of here. Now, as Paul continues in these closing verses of chapter 4, and the first few verses of chapter 5, to reveal his perspective for facing trials, he speaks of the matter of faith and its foundational role. Faith, of course, is also translated trust or even in some places hope in the scriptures. Faith, hope, and trust. Faith is absolutely critical to understand any truth that God reveals. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Paul clearly teaches in many places that one is saved and receives the Spirit of God to dwell within through faith in Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And that just begins a life that is characterized by a living faith in the living Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So Paul is building on the issue of the faith life and bringing it into the picture and facing the trials of life as a believer. He introduces it here by using this phrase, spirit of life, of faith, which means an attitude of faith. Now, this isn't a special gift of faith uh, given in 1 Corinthians 12, but a reference to that same attitude of faith that ought to characterize the life of every believer. In 2 Peter 1, Peter speaks of believers of those who have obtained or received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. All believers have received that same precious faith from God need to face their trials with that faith in the forefront. Paul speaks of this faith of that which instills confidence. And he identifies with the believing psalmist who wrote, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. In the midst of his troubles, the psalmist confidently asked God to deliver him out of his troubles. And he could confidently do so because he believed God would answer his prayer. So Paul saying to us that we should face our troubles with the same confident attitude of faith. Now, in verse 14, Paul goes on to illustrate the solid basis of his confident faith. He had nothing to fear from life or death. He had just listed previously some of the trials that were part of his life and ministry, and now he was affirming that his faith gave him victory over all of them. The first assurance he had because of his faith was that of ultimate victory. If Jesus Christ has conquered death, the last enemy, why fear anything else? People do everything they can to penetrate the meaning of death and prepare for it, but the world has no answer to death. Until a person is prepared to die, <laughs> it's not really prepared to live. The joyful message of the early church was Christ's victory 
over death, a victorious emphasis we need to constantly keep before us. And Paul saw a future reunion with God's people with his words and will present us with you. Death is the great divider. But in Jesus Christ, there's assurance his people will, will be reunited in his presence. Paul further adds assuring words in speaking of the new eternal body we will receive to live in heaven. Talks about that in the first five verses of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, a building from God, it will be a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, and that will replace the earthly tent, which is our house, in which we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So as believers, we can face our suffering and trials with a great hope we have in Jesus Christ ever before us to give us inner strength and courage. Now Paul goes on to reveal God's purposes he achieves in and through us in our trials and sufferings. Indeed, he doesn't just let us suffer so we'll be miserable and experience pain and have to pay the price for our sins. He works his eternal purposes as we submit to him in faith when we experience our trials. And yes, that's not an if, that's a when. We will experience trials. Now this verse parallels, it's verse 15, parallels Romans 8.28 in giving assurance our sufferings are not wasted. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Note that by knowing is only for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those who by faith have entered into the faith life. Here Paul affirms that God uses our trials to minister to others and to bring glory to his name. How is this achieved? Well, by his giving us the abundant grace we need to maintain joy and strength when the going gets difficult. Paul spoke of that grace in 2 Corinthians 12. God did not remove Paul's thorn in the flesh so he could experience the sufficiency of God's grace and see God's power at its perfecting work in his weakness. God accomplishes many other purposes in and through us as we face our trials as well. He comforts us so we can in turn comfort others. We learn to patiently endure and even joy in our trials. This brings us to maturity and faith. Our hope is strengthened and our Christian character is proven. We experience the love of God as he ministers to us, particularly in times when he disciplines us as his children. And he produces in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And when God prunes us as branches in Jesus, the vine, he makes us fruitful in our lives for him. And we learn to trust in God and not ourselves. Jeremiah kind of gives us a picture of contrast about this over in Jeremiah chapter 17. Verses 5 through 8. 
where Jeremiah writes, this is what the Lord said, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands, in the desert place. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. First of all, there's the one who trusts in man. The one who sets the Lord apart in his life. Cursed is one of the six common words translated cursed is used here. And this one has the idea of binding and rendering one powerless to resist. Jeremiah contrasts the person who experiences spiritual barrenness with the one who receives spiritual blessing. Differing factor is where one places their trust. The one cursed is a man who puts his trust in man, including him or herself. Now, why would one put their trust in another with the same nature and limitations as they have themselves? How can one be confident or secure, feel safe in, and rely on one no better than he is or she is? <laughs> Why bother if they're no different? This one also makes flesh his strength. This is strength that leaves God out of the picture. Certainly not a reliable place to turn when one finds their own flesh is inadequate. One can only be strengthened to the degree that the source is strong. And therefore, a man who looks to the flesh for strength and cannot be strengthened beyond what he already is, that one is cursed. And he is one whose heart turns away from the Lord. The cursed one is like a bush or a shrub in the desert, dry and part. Such a bush struggles to find moisture to survive. No leaf or flower or fruit adorns it except when an infrequent rain shower might water it, and then the growth lasts only a brief time. It is a dwarf that will only grow to a certain height. Now, the word for desert has the distinct flavor of sterility or lack of fruitful production. This one will not see when good or prosperity comes, but will continue to inhabit the barren parched places in the wilderness and stony wastes where hardly anything will grow because there's just simply no atmosphere for growth or life. Salt. That was not the real thing or had lost its flavor as being was used by conquerors to put on fields to prevent growth of crops or stifle growth. People could no longer live in such an area because they could not be derived a living from the earth. So the cursed one is like a bush in such an area, a place where no living person dwelled. There is no life. Where this person resides, there's no blessing from where this one puts his trust, only death and waste. Now, in contrast, there's one who is blessed, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence or hope is in him. And he will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots to the, by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes 
Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. One who receives the favor of the Lord and who flourishes in life is one who is blessed. The one blessed is blessed because his trust is in the Lord. And the word blessed means to bend the knee or kneel down. Picture of worship. There was a close association between kneeling and receiving a blessing. It's a shame that kneeling before God to pray or wait for his blessing has become a thing unknown to many of us in the church today. And I speak to myself too. This one put his trust in the Lord and lived accordingly. Not only did he trust the Lord for what he could or would do, but the Lord was the object of his trust. You see, our faith, our trust, is only as strong as the object that we place it in. This was a personal relationship of trust, of reliance, of confidence, of assurance. And it involved total abandonment of himself, his plans, his pleasures, his purposes, his ways of pursuing these to the Lord. And his plans, purposes, ways, and pleasure. And of course, the result of trusting and hoping the Lord is abundant life and fruitfulness in spite of the circumstances. Instead of being like a stunted, parched juniper bush in the desert, a person who places all faith and hope in the Lord is like a tree planted by the rivers of water, or the waters of the river. By the way, here the tree stretches out its roots to the life-giving water. A beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit for the believer. And like the picture of the blessed man who delights in the law, the word of God, in Psalm 1. <clears throat> Other things that God accomplishes, we cause others to pray in our behalf as they see us go through trials. We also give others opportunities to show God's love and caregiving, and people see the grace and power of God at work in our lives as we respond in faith to his care for us, and they give thanks and praise to his name. It isn't that what life is all about. Here Paul is illustrating the principle that there must first be the cross before there will be a crown, as James speaks to in James 1.12. And this means that whatever begins with divine grace leads to and results in glory. Now the process of renewal within is mentioned in verse 16. Paul says, therefore, and he's speaking in light of or on the basis of what he's just said before. He repeats the phrase, we do not lose heart. They decided in verse 1 of this chapter. Even though our outer man, our physical bodies, decaying, decaying or perishing, we don't lose heart. Because far more importantly, the inner man, the inner person is experiencing daily spiritual 
renewal. Now, this didn't suggest that our body isn't important indeed. It is the home for any man here on earth. We shouldn't ignore its warnings or needs. And right now, we need to be wise following the procedure set out to avoid being affected by COVID-19. In fact, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we must care for them. However, we cannot control the natural deterioration of human nature. And considering all the physical trials Paul endured, no wonder he wrote as he did. But even though he knew his body was being beat upon, becoming more and more frail, he didn't lose heart because he knew by faith in God's word, by experience in his own life, that God was continuing the great work he had begun when Paul became a believer. As Christians, we must live a day at a time. No person, no matter how wealthy or gifted, can live, live two days at a time. Some try. God provides for us day by day as we pray to him and trust him, just as he did for Israel for some 40 years when he provided for them in the wilderness. He gives us the strength we need according to our daily requirements. Okay. And considering all the physical trials Paul endured, no matter, no wonder he wrote as he did. But even though he knew his body was being beat upon, becoming more and more frail, he didn't lose heart because he knew by faith in God's word and by experience in his own life that God was continuing the great work he had begun when Paul became a believer. As Christians, we must live a day at a time. God provides for us day by day as we pray to him and trust him just as he did for the Israel for some 40 years in the wilderness. He gives us the strength we need according to our daily requirements and tells us not to worry about tomorrow. We'll have its own needs. We mustn't make the mistake of trying to store up grace for future emergencies because as Hebrews 4.16, God gives us the grace we need when we need it. When we learn to live a day at a time confident of God's care, we relieve ourselves of pressure we were never designed to bear anyway. In verses 17 and 18, Paul then speaks of the promise of abundant glory. He begins with the word for in verse 17, giving the ultimate reason for not losing heart because of suffering and trials. When we live by faith in Christ, we get the right perspective on the suffering and trials we face. And I know that there are people in our congregation who are, they may not be afflicted with COVID-19, but they are going through other trials. In verse 17, Paul presents contrast to illustrate his point. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 17. Notice the contrast there. Light affliction, weight of glory. Momentary, eternal, working for us, 
working against us. You see, he wrote with eternity's values in view, relating present afflictions to future glory, and he discovered his trials were actually working for him, as he had previously stated in Romans 8.18. We must understand this verse isn't saying a Christian can't just live any way they choose and expect it to turn into glory in the end. Paul, speaking of trials, experienced in the will of God as he was doing the work of God. God can and does turn suffering into glory, but he can't turn sin into glory. Sin must be judged because there is no glory in sin. Consider the contrast between momentary light affliction and eternal weight of glory Paul uses here. The Greek word for light means a, a weightless trifle. Affliction refers to intense pressure. Contrast. Now a person may retort, what do you mean a weightless trifle? The bite was cancer, a stroke, a heart attack, or the loss of a loved one. I went through, it wasn't a trifle. It was difficult to bear. Paul isn't making light of your affliction here. Consider what he had gone through. The list represents seemingly unbearable sufferings and persecutions he endured as a chosen vessel of God, yet he viewed them as weightless and lasting only a brief moment compared with eternity. The word for weight refers to a heavy mass. For Paul, future glory he would experience with the Lord far outweighed any suffering he experienced here. And Paul understood that the greater the suffering for the sake of Christ, the greater would be the eternal glory. Dr. Tozer used to say that the invisible word world described in the Bible was the only real world. If we could only see the visible world as God wants us to see it, we would never be attracted to by what it offers us. People of faith recorded in Hebrews 11 achieved what they did because they, they saw the invisible. The things of the world are real to us because we can see and feel them, but they are temporary and destined to pass away. Only eternal things, the spiritual life will last. That's why Jesus taught kingdom people to store up treasures in heaven that nothing can destroy. But how can we look at things that are not seen? Only by faith. When we read the word of God and trust in the God of the word. We have never seen Christ or heaven, yet we know they're real because the word of God states it. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this is the essence of having a biblical perspective in facing our trials and suffering, having our eyes fixed on what is eternal and lasting rather than what is temporal and sure to pass away. Now, in reviewing 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us how he had courage for the conflicts he faced and the afflictions he experienced. Earlier in the chapter, he says he had a glorious ministry that transformed lives, the gospel. 
He had a valuable treasure, that gospel of life and power, housed in his weak, decaying body, a treasure he wanted to share with a spiritually bankrupt world. He had a confident faith that conquered fear of pain and death. And he had a sure future hope that was both a destination and a motivation that prevented him from losing heart, even in the midst of his most difficult trials. No wonder he confidently stated in Romans 8, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And he goes on to say, nothing will be able to separate us from that love. Yes, we all go through suffering, trials, afflictions, heartaches, troubles, and sorrows that are hard and difficult to face. It's happening now. But like Paul, we have these same marvelous possessions, and through them we can find courage to face the hard places in life with confidence and in victory. And in closing, I just want to share this verse from Ephesians 3. Now to him, the one we put our trust in, the Lord, who is able to do immeasurably, measurably more than we all are ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, as these weak clay vessels. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, may we go back to the basics of surrendering all that we are and have to you and trusting you, putting our faith in you, hoping in you. Thank you for the great assurance that that faith, hope, and trust goes far beyond whatever we're going to experience here. Amen. Uh, reminder, church, we're going to uh, try this live stream next Saturday, uh, Sunday morning at uh, 1030. And uh, apologize for the little battery change there. Uh, new to this technical stuff, we'll get it figured out. Uh, God bless you.